Hello, movie lovers, and welcome, welcome with me. I have Eric Flesher with me, and also have my co-pilot Charlie with me as well. Eric Flesher is actually the cameraman operator for Dexter. Came in at what season two, I believe you said, Eric. Yeah, started season two. And uh, season two, right? And he's actually the SOC over at his organization. And welcome to the show. I do appreciate you taking your time out of your night to talk about Dexter. We're huge Dexter fans. We've been reviewing Dexter for what the last couple, last two years. We've been actually um, doing Dexter reviews after shows, and even doing the Dexter New Blood after show as well. And you know, Dexter is a really good concept. As a matter of fact, you guys did something totally different, totally something out of the norm for regular TV. I just want to say thank you to Michael C. Hall. Thank you to everybody on Showtime that gave us some great original content for during that time. And thank you for your awesome craftsmanship when it came down to the camera work. And everything thank you very too. much. Very welcome. And coming out of the gate, this is what I'm, this is what I wanted to know was with the kill rooms and scenes like that, it seems like it's kind of closed in to the point where you can't hardly breathe. And it, just seeing the shots, that just seems like what it looked like to me. Was it like that for it on the set as well with it being so small? Oftentimes, kill rooms were in very small spaces um, because they were generally in practical locations of where where Dexter would have hunted and set up his kill room. And, and you know, kill rooms are generally always set up somewhere inside of a building, deep inside the building, so there's no chance that anybody could see. There was longer escape paths and things like that. But um, so, I mean, we, we did stuff uh, like, you know, kill rooms inside of shipping containers. So shipping containers are, what, 10 feet wide? Um, you know, basically 10 foot square and then 40 feet long, but we would only have draped maybe a 10 foot area. So it'd just be this 10 foot cube. Uh, one of our bigger kill rooms was the season three kill room for Freebo, the first kill of the season, the kill that actually changed the way we shot all the kill rooms. Um, and that was in a set of a garage and that set was actually built on stage that wasn't actually in an actual garage that was that was built over on um it was stage 15 at sunset gower pretty much like catty corner from dexter's apartment set we had this uh uh, garage built in there and that was a fun kill because it was actually a a little controversial the network was a little upset with that kill when it was written um yeah because the kill wasn't done on a table and the network and Sarah Colleton all said, kills are done on tables. They're done horizontally. And instead, in this kill, Freebo is lashed to a ladder standing up at about a 30-degree angle. And um, they didn't want to do that. And if you go back and you watch the kill room, we fool them in the first shot, um, which is I start with the camera cranked over so that Freebo is ostensibly laying on a table. And as Michael enters the frame and starts walking around the room, I roll it flat and start coming back and widening out to show the room and show that Freebo's standing up. And the shot developed, and, and it did what Michael and I normally had done, which was uh, he and I never really would talk about kill rooms. We would just do kill rooms. And so Michael starts his whole thing and he starts basically going around the room to the other side 
and I start countering him. And as I counter him, I get behind the ladder and you see all the, the pictures of the victims on the back of the ladder. And so I've got the victims, I've got Michael, and you can barely see Freebo's shoulder over that. And then, uh, unbeknownst to me, Michael comes running across the garage. And he was over, over Freebo's right shoulder and comes into the left side and goes into that super tight close-up where he's screaming at Freebo and we're only this big. None of it was planned. Um, I basically, as Michael came running in, I started to counter him gave a little space so I could see him coming around. And then as he starts crushing in on Freebo, I started crushing into that, that super close-up. And that close-up was actually something that the show is actually very well known for and, and is actually taught now in film school, what's called the Dexter close-up, which is eyebrows to chin. And if you know, and if you really watch the show, it's only used on Dexter when we're that mm-hmm. tight. And I've had directors, we would, I would line up the Dexter close-up and they go, whoa, 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 back off. I'm like, no, we're not backing off. That's the shot. Um, but so anyway, you know, Michael's yelling at the guy and, and as he goes to stab him, I pull out so I can see the knife go in and we kill him. What you see in the show is the first take. We did one backup take. We did four inserts and we were done. That was it. The whole scene was shot at once. Uh, Marcus Siego was directing that scene and I remember him walking on set and basically going, um, if the camera broke right now, we've got the scene. So what do we want to do? And it was a, there was a strange moment afterwards because Michael then went shooting off set, which is kind of normal. He would, he would blast out of the kill room, not wanting to talk to anybody. And then about an hour later, Clyde Phillips, Robert Lloyd Lewis, Gary Law, our line producer, Romeo Toronto, DP, Michael, and Marcos are all standing in a circle and I get motioned over. I'm like, the fuck did I just do? I just got fired. So I walk over and I'm like, okay, what's up? And uh, Clyde steps forward and says, at Michael's request, you're the only one shooting kill rooms from now on. We're never doing it any other way. This is the way we're doing it from now on. All season two was Romeo and I in the kill room doing it two cameras. After that day, it went down to just me in the kill room um, and Michael and I doing it. Season four, Michael came up to me and says, hey, do we need to rehearse the kill rooms? I'm like, no. I said, you and I kind of know what we're doing. And he goes, okay, good. So we stopped rehearsing. Season five, he walks up to me and goes, do we need the director in the kill room? I'm like, no, we do what we want to do. Okay, good. That was it. No more directors in the kill room. And so it was just, it was marked off in the schedule. Kill room generally about three or four hours and Michael and I would go do what we wanted to do in there. And it was only my assistant. Funny thing is on that Freebo kill, uh, when I come in and I finish the shot, uh, you wear a walkie talkie so I can talk to my focus puller because my focus puller is actually off the set uh, looking at a monitor and he's pulling off a remote focus unit. And uh, I get this radio call from Brad and he goes, Hey uh, buddy, um, that was uh, six inches off the bottom of the lens, off minimum focus. And my response was, yeah, you had six inches. What's your point? <laughs> it was like, okay, we know where we're at now. So, um, to be yeah, honest with you, having fun. his face focused on there actually makes sense. You were actually more drawn into his range oh, yeah. and his emotion that way. Well, and the thing and was, that's what I liked about it. Is the way I always thought about it and, and you know, with, with the Dexter close-up was is 
this is something specific to Dexter only because it's his internal monologue, his thought process, him battling with the dark passenger. It's not externalized to the rest of the world. The audience needs to just see this and they need to see what the eyes are doing and what the brow is doing because a lot of Michael's rage acting is that brow, you know, and he has somewhat of a squarish forehead. So I could then start playing with where I'm putting the eyes in the frame and where I'm putting the eyes and how much I'm showing of the eyes versus his forehead. So I could, you know, go up or go down and start playing that. And it was something that Michael caught on to and he saw what I was doing and again, it was just this whole thing that he and I never really discussed that. We would just do it. Dexter was a very interesting show in the fact that it's one of the only television shows I've ever worked on where the producers weren't on set. Where nowadays, producers are on the set all the time. They're approving things or saying no, bring it back, push it forward, whatever. We didn't do that on Dexter. We had no adult supervision on set. The writers were on set. A bunch of the times that changed in season seven. Um, but for the most part, there'd be one writer on the set. And that writer generally was just along for the ride and would just clarify a line or clarify an intent, not really giving the input. Um, the directors were allowed to do what they felt was right for the show. And we had a great group of directors and, you know, we had, you know, John Dahl did, I think, 16 episodes, the second most number, the second or first most episodes. And John, his background, when he first started in the business, he was Peter Lynch's storyboard artist. So he understood how to tell a story and he was very visual and just a brilliant director. And he, and he got it. And we had Steve Schill and, and Steve got it. And we had Ernest Dickerson and Ernest got it. But the producers generally were like, yeah, we hired the director for a reason. We're going to be hands off. Um, and then with what I started doing in season two and pushing the look and pushing the close-ups, because um, it, it's generally things are, are done two cameras, um, an A and a B camera. And we kind of would use the second camera to, to shoot the establishing stuff. And then, I would start just getting tighter and tighter and tighter and picking up all the details and everything. And it eventually became that, that the eight, that, the, that my camera basically shot about 85% of the show, 85% of what you see on screen is stuff that came from me. And because of that, the directors and the producers and Clyde liked what I was doing and liked the story I was telling. And they started telling new directors coming in, hey, we've got this camera operator, Eric, and he's going to go off the reservation. And you just sit back and enjoy it because your show is going to be so much better for it. This guy gets it. I would literally have editors coming down going, oh, my God, you know, this and that tag, and you did this. and Like, you cut the scene for us. We didn't have to do any work. And it was a lot of fun. And it was the one show that I've had a tremendous amount of autonomy and was empowered to say, no, I'm doing this. This is what the story needs. Because these guys also understood that I understood the story. I mean, um, Clyde didn't talk to a lot of people on set, but Clyde would talk to me all the time. Um, I remember having the conversation with him in season four, and he tells me about two episodes before we actually did it about what the third kill was going to be. 
about talking the mother into throwing herself off the building to save her children. That that was impactful, to be honest. Oh my god! Well, yeah, it was. Yeah, right. definitely. It was something that, that you haven't seen before. Death. I mean, you know, it was the impact of the ground caused her death, but <laughs> but right, no, right, right. It, was, it was a very impactful scene, and, <laughs> and um, I just, <laughs> I remember going to Clyde. I'm like, wow, Thanksgiving at your house has to be really strange. And he comes down to me about two episodes later. He goes, wait till you see what I did for Thanksgiving. Your comment got me thinking. (laughs) And that's where the... That's where we got the the whole, I'm thankful for yams and the next line. And all that stuff. (laughs) Um, But it was was just me going, wow, man, Thanksgiving at your house has to be a little... That's got to be interesting, a little rough. You know, you're telling me this. And And he was like gleeful talking about, you know... I'm gonna, he's going to talk the woman into throwing herself off the, the building and killing herself and all this. I'm like, dude, you know. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. So, so but, and then, and, you know, like I said, when he came down, it was like, you know, wait till you see what I do Thanksgiving. I'm like, oh, Lord, this could be good. <laughs> So and then we got the scene that everybody talks about. And, you know, and John Dahl directed that. At one point, we're all going. I, at one point, I just look at John and go, hell of a Thanksgiving. He goes, just like my house. <laughs> <laughs> Good old times, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Charlie had a question for you, though, too. Yes. All right. So going to season four, you already talked about the Thanksgiving. I want to know, what was it like to film the final kill in season four and that is the the the, the iconic like i mean this is the most shocking disturbing thing i've ever seen on a tv what was it like filming rita's death uh it was a it was a tough day it was a very very tough day um i don't doubt that i was reading a lot of stuff julie Julie and i are, are good friends um i first met julie doing a tv show called angel in which she played darla in which I killed her, <laughs> playing Carl. <laughs> and uh, you know that, that irony was not was not uh, beyond us when you know she died. Um, I was in a very fortunate position, and somewhat unfortunate that I often knew things that were going to happen in the story long before everybody else on set knew those things, because I might have to start setting things up visually earlier. Uh, a great example is Geller. I had to make sure that Eddie never touched or physically interacted with anything on set. So there were times that I'd walk over to Eddie and go, hey, don't don't touch that. You know, and I had to understand the reason. And so I actually knew that Julie was not going to make it into season five. I did not know how. But I knew that Julie wasn't going to make it into season five, and I knew that about 11 or 12 days into shooting season four, mm. um, which is difficult because I had to keep the secret from a friend of mine. Um, but it was a it was a difficult day, basically of it felt like going to a funeral. There was mourning all day. Um, Julie is an incredibly fun person. Um, she's one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet. 
Uh, I remember the first day that she came in to work on season two. I think we were about 10 days into the, into the season. And uh, she's comes into the set and she's running through the set. And one of my second ACs, uh, Warren Feldman is standing there and going, Julie, <laughs> and she just goes blasting right by him thinking he's going to get a big hug. And she just about bowls me over because um, I hadn't seen her since Angel and just about bowls me over and turns around and looks at Warren and goes, Eric had me first. Um, so, um, yeah. um, so, you know, Julie and I had a, had a blast. Uh, season three, she's when the first day with uh, Sylvia Prado, we're in the kitchen at the, the Prado house and the actress who's playing Sylvia is very nervous and Julie's going around the room introducing everybody to her and she goes she gets to me and she goes that's eric he's our operator he's awesome he'll take care of you and that that's kind of the environment i tried to foster on set with all of, all of the actors especially with all my girls um but so Ju- julie and i had a you know I, got, I knew her when she was going through a divorce and, and all this stuff so we had a very long history and she was not a happy camper. She wasn't told until the day before the table read, which is three days before we started shooting the episode. Wow. And she was called into the producer's office and they said, just so you know, the pages in the script that went out are not complete. Here's this scene. And, you know, it's you go through the five stages of grief, you know, anger, denial, bargaining, um, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, she had a, she had a rough time. Um, she did not participate in the table read and I understand why she, she was very hurt. Um, but she got past it and was super professional. There is some bizarre story going around on the internet that says she was carrying a headstone around. It's a hundred percent bullshit. <laughs> right. Um, um you know, it's, uh, let's see, we shot that scene with, it was either the second to last day of season four or the third to last day of season four. And um, we were trying to set the schedule up in a way that the, that the Trinity kill room would be the actual last thing we shot. And scheduling-wise, it didn't work out. The, the last shot we did on season four that, that year was Trinity going into the Dexter apartment, which at that time was being occupied by Deb. And it's, my, 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 you're a little piggy, Dexter Morgan. And then, Deborah, who the fuck is Deborah Morgan? You know, and, and um, so that was actually the, the last thing we shot. It was... It was kind of fun. It was, you know, the last thing was was with John, and John was just, he was a trooper all season. Um, our gaffer, Earl Willeman, was retiring at wrap of season four, and John had done an oil painting in his trailer in his off time when he wasn't composing music and writing children's books. He did an oil painting of Earl and presented it to Earl that night, and then uh, that night he came around, John came around and gave every crew member a inscribed copy of, of his children's books. 
um, and going, I'm not going to be a children's author anymore after people see this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and every every single one had a personal message in it. It's somewhere over there. Um, you know, somewhere behind me. But uh, every single one had a, a, a personal message of something that John and they shared throughout the season. It was just, it was fantastic. John John was amazing and, and he made the show better. He made every actor better because they saw what John would do and they were just like, I got to be better at what I'm doing because this guy just, he brings it every day. And, and you know, Michael has often said, you know, that, that John just came to play every day. And it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. We, we didn't, our show doesn't have a lot of bloopers. In fact, there's none out there in the wild because there were none. We had a bunch of, all of our actors were absolute machines. Um, we rarely had to go again because of a dialogue drop um, or, you know, some issue. Generally, what you see on screen is take one, two, or three, and then we moved on, um, which is kind of crazy when you think about everything that's going on and the emotions and scenes. And when you think about Jennifer and the stuff that she's doing in scenes and, and the emotions that she's going through there and all the F-bombs she's dropping, which <laughs> would generally stream a consciousness with her. Um, I think the, the the funniest one was the, the fuck nuggets comment. In which yeah, that was my favorite. Crew, the entire crew lost it on fuck nuggets. Uh, we were all like, what the? I'm going to McDonald's ordering some fuck nuggets. Um, you know, but it was just like, oh my God. Um, so we we rarely had any any you know any retakes, and we had a technical one day. We were doing the scene of Trinity walking into the police station, and it's a low shot of just Trinity's shoes, and it's the dolly shot, it's a dolly pullback. And something, one of the crosses got in the way of of my second AC and we couldn't get the cable paged up fast enough. And the dolly ended up rolling over, over the, the SDI lines, which allowed everybody to see what my camera was shooting. And the dolly bounced and the cables in the frame and John sees that the shots broken and he does the footloose dance, and, which was hilarious because all of a sudden here's this, you know, he's getting ready to be hangry and everything. And then he just breaks into footloose and, you know, we all lost it at that, but, <laughs> You know, it was, and that was the type of thing. He could be so malevolently evil, and then you'd be laughing your ass off in this in the next second. You know, I remember that uh, the day in which Dexter finds his sister's ashes, you know, Trinity's sister's ashes in the urn. The very few, you know, basically it's it was something that was picked up in season five. It's the tick tick tick. Your life's running out because as that urn got lower, it was always in Trinity's mind that when he got rid of all his sister's ashes, he was going to kill himself. That's why he was building a coffin in the in the garage. And uh, we're doing the scene in which, which Michael discovered, you know, Dexter discovers the urn and Arthur, you know, spins him around and starts you know, beating him against the wall and choking him. And if you, if you go back and watch the episode, there's this extreme close-up and it's it's Dexter's point of view, and I and you know I'm six foot one, big guy, played hockey, you know, I you can't move me if you try to move me. 
And I told John, I said, you know, I, I hold on to the map box and handheld. I said, John, just grab my wrist. Just go for it. Um, John beat the shit out of me. Uh, John shook me so damn hard that I was pretty sure I had a concussion afterwards. Um, and it was just, it was so awesome. And as soon as it takes time, he's like, Eric, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. The next day we're, we're shooting the stuff at the, at the church when Dexter first meets him and we're setting up there. And my, my, my wife came and, and visited on set and John literally comes bouncing over and goes, Oh, you must be Jolene. You must be Eric's wife. He and I played a scene together yesterday. I'm like, oh my God, John Lithgow just said we played a scene together. It was pretty fucking cool. Um, but you know, it, you know just, just the, the greatest dude on the planet. So we did have a fun, we did have a fun screw up. Uh, we're shooting the scene in which they're cutting down the cypress tree that Tony's going to then make his coffin out of. You know, that when they went out in the woods and, you know, Dexter's kind of like, oh, this might be good, might be bad. And, and so they're they're going to chop the tree down, and our effects guys they screwed that one up pretty big. Um, they had a, a snatch block on the top of the tree just to make sure that it didn't fall over and hit Michael and John, and it had way too much tension on it. And this tree that production spent one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on bringing from Florida, planting in the LA Arboretum four months before we shot it, so it have enough roots so we could actually cut it down. Um, it didn't fall over. It had too much tension. And when it finally broke, it bounced and flew away. <laughs> and John looks at it and goes, that's amazing! I remember turning around and going, no effects crew on Monday. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a ton of fun. It was a ton of fun. And, and so, yeah, so getting back to the type of environment that we had on the set that day when when Rita was was killed um it felt like a kill room it really did it was a very somber day um but Julie slipped in the bathtub we waited almost 10 minutes for the water to get perfectly still um and we did the scene and you know we did the push in and and all that, and then all the stuff with the kid is all the turnaround. Julie wasn't there for, um, and then I remember her getting out of the bathtub and just uh, hugging me for about ten minutes while Robert and Clyde were on the other side of the room, sitting in their chairs, going, "Julie, Julie, it was amazing, it was amazing," and she just had her her head buried in my shoulder and just wouldn't even look at him. So. You know, she was, she was a little hurt. Um, she's done great afterwards, and she's fine about it now. But at that time, she was a little hurt. I can um, imagine. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, we, we were all a family over there. You know, everybody cared about everybody. I mean, so, seeing that scene, like, hearing about it, like, because, like, like, I was, I didn't see all of season four. I saw a good chunk of it. And then again, then, like, I just, like, I didn't have show time at the time. So I read it. I found out about it. I'm like, no. You know, there's this thing called DVDs, and you can watch them right now. Yeah, yeah, no, I have shit to now, and I, that's why we're doing the rewatches. It's been years, <laughs> but I know all of it. But yeah, um, but reading it, I was like, no. And then I was like, I'm like reading it, and then I watched the video, and I was like, okay, Dexter's like, he finally just got him. He finally got the kill, and he's and he and he's and he, and he, and he, and he, and he finds the message, 
and you find Serena message about like, oh yeah, I, I left my phone, and then they were gonna go on their honeymoon at Disney, and then then all of a sudden he he, he oh not to Disney, not to Disney. No, they were going down, they were going down to the Bahamas. Oh, they were okay. Yeah, they were going to the Bahamas. The kids were with oh. Rita's parents. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Disney. Yeah, it's been. That's awesome. how we got them out of out of the scene for that. Was yeah, were with Rita's parents. But you know, and and the 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 fun thing in that is is the line that John utters, which is "It's already over. You're such a child." You know, and that line carries so much weight. Of you think you have all your shit together, Dexter. You don't have a clue. No, you're a child. You don't understand the shit storm that's going to rain down on you now. And yeah. you know, that was the that was the whole build up to season to season five, which season five starts an hour after Dexter finds her in the bathtub. Not even yeah. an hour. It's a, it's a half hour. It's it's with the responding police officers. And he comes out and he goes, I killed her. I killed her. It was which me. he did. Which he did, but he actually yeah. didn't. But, but Dexter actually Basically, did. it's just her blood is on his hands because of the repercussions that he did with the Trinity killer. Right, and yeah. and and that was that was the moment of awakening for Dexter. So Rita's death had to happen in order for the series to progress. Mm-hmm. We, she, there had to be a consequence to what Dexter was doing, because up until that point, there was no consequence. He got away with it all. Yeah, you know, you know, Lila pissed him off, so he hunts her down in Paris and kills her. You know, um, you know, Miguel kills Miguel. That was a small set. Oh my god, that was where we did that kill. We were like in a corner of the set, and I could barely get around the table. And it was one of the few times that we ever did the the kill on Steadicam, and just realized that the Steadicam was too big for it um, because I couldn't get where I was used to putting the camera. And at one point, they're doing the whole dialogue, and Michael's got the the knife up, and Jimmy's yelling, "Fuck you, fuck you!" And I get this this drip of sweat going down my forehead and I wear a baseball cap all the time when I work and I reach up and I spin the cap. So the brim is backwards and I'm still working on the shot. They call cut and Michael and Jimmy both go, nice hat spin, Eric. I'm like, Oh fuck. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are not aware of what's going on. (laughs) But you know, and that was, that was the type of fun that we had, but you know, it's like, so Dexter hasn't understood that he's, that, that, consequences come about mm-hmm. from his behavior and that's that's why the ending to season eight to a lot of us was so satisfying was he finally realized that he just brings death to everybody and he had to break the cycle and he had to do something which mm-hmm. is why he became a truck driver not a lumberjack and you know went to oregon and yeah and, and it's one of the cool things is is all the clues were there throughout all the seasons. Very foreshadowing of it. Because, oh, yeah. Yeah. With the Trinity Killer, what's next? Do I go in here and change my name and move to Oregon? And then was- there's also something else in that. Stan Beaudry, truck driver. What right. does that say about driving a truck? Wow, I can bring my kill room wherever I am. It's very easy to hide. So that's where he goes, oh, I'll be a truck driver. Mm. Change my identity. Be a truck driver. Okay. Then we get to season two, either six or seven, Tooth Fairy. Yeah. More serial killers in the Pacific Northwest than anywhere else. Wouldn't that be a happy hunting ground to retire to? 
We told you. <laughs> we told you everything, guys. You but know? yeah, the scene that scene, like the like that we think the calm happened, and then and then once you hear the kid crying, and then you see Rita, I was like, no, no, they did not do that. Like I guess, nope. and that was the most intense like scene I've ever seen on a TV show. Like that, there was actually a discussion of changing of of doing a different ending that was along that vein, but more severe that Trinity was actually going to do the full Trinity cycle on the family. That Cody was going to be buried in the backyard dead. It was going to be Aster in the bathtub and it was going to be Rita as the building jumper. Because it was going to the, the, the pitch was that it would end with Batista getting back to new blood and all this. Batista doing Dexter, you got to get down here. Something horrible has happened. Boom! Black, that's it. You don't find out Rita's dead until season five. Whoa. It went up, to, it went up the chain, and everybody, the, the, the final deciding people at Showtime went, we're going to lose viewers, we're going to lose female viewers if we kill the kids. Right. But because there were some of us that were pushing for that, and that was something I had actually pitched to, to Clyde. I was like, it should be the turn to kill. It should be the whole thing. Because here's the thing. I know that there's like an... (laughs) Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. Now, I know there's like an age limit on how young a kid can die and everything else too, right? Based off of TV. Not really. I mean, it's it's more along the lines of taste. It's more along the lines of what you're willing to put your audience through. Um, There's some rules on network, but this is premium cable, so there wasn't there wasn't really that rule uh, okay. doing it on, on a premium pay-per-view service because the thought is, is with pay-per-view, you know what you got yourself into. You paid for it versus right. broadcast TV, which is like, Oh look, they killed Lassie. What? Yeah. <laughs> right. I got you. But Whoa. going back off of Charlie though, I mean, I liked how at first we feel like, okay, we feel like Dexter in a sense where, Okay, we can breathe a little bit. Trinity's mm-hmm. gone. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you wind up seeing the blood trail. And I love the folk, the way the camera angle, because I'm a huge fan of camera angles. I'm a mm-hmm. geek at camera angles. But <laughs> I like how the camera angles follows the blood trail all the way to the bathtub. And then, yep. like Charlie was saying, the baby was screaming and everything. Then all of a sudden, I'm tense back up again. I'm like, oh, my God. Did Trinity get there before Dexter could kill Trinity? That was the end game for Trinity. Yep. Yep. And and that and here's the other thing that's very interesting. There's I see I've seen a lot of discussions of what did Trinity tell Rita? Nothing. Trinity doesn't know that Dexter is a serial killer. Never did. Trinity thinks Dexter is a thief and he's out to fuck up Trinity's life. That's it. He has no idea that Dexter's a serial killer. And that was the wink and the nod that Dexter had in that scene, which was, you you call me a child, but you don't know what I'm capable of. You don't know what I've done. You know? And that's that very final line that he says before, before he brings up the hammer. And I love the point. I love it. It was It's not scripted. He brings up the hammer face, and then Michael spun it to the claw end, and that's what he kills Trinity with, which is the claw, not the hammer. And 
that was kind of fun. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that Trinity had no clue that Dexter was a serial killer. Because at no point did Dexter ever really tell Trinity he was a serial killer. He told Trinity that he was up to some no good, but not that he was a serial killer. I, so Trinity was just pissed off that Dexter stole all of his money out of the bank. And, you know, fucked up his, his escape plan. You know, and Trinity didn't know what Dexter told Trinity's family, what he told his wife, his daughter, and his son. So, you know that that's that was always one of the things that you know I'd see all these all the all the fans going, oh, but you know, I want to see what Trinity. No, there was nothing there. You know, he did his normal kill, which was, you know, held up a mirror to her face, sliced her femoral artery, and waited for her to bleed out, telling her it's okay. Um, which when we did that in the, the first episode, that was, I'm, I was known on the crew as being absolutely unoffendable. You could not do something that I'd be like, whoa, over the line. I'd be like, cool. Um, you know, more twisted, the better. Um, I love you, uh, Dark Humor. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Just the whole family. I mean, you know, if we're gonna go there, let's go there. Go there. And um, so, um, where was I? What was I saying? Um, You're being unoffendable about no, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty unoffendable, and, and we're, we're we're shooting we're shooting the first bathtub kill, and we do the first take, and I'm just like, this is rough. And we do the second take, and, and I, I hop off the dolly, and I, I go over to go out of the, the exclusion zone because it's all it's all tinted and shield because John's naked, the, the girl's naked. You know, we're, we're trying to give everybody some privacy. Operators never <laughs> – we see it all. Um, but um, – and I, I walked over, and I, I, go, I go to Marcos. I'm like, yeah, that's two really good takes, I, you know. My opinion, I think we have it. Do you really need another? And Marcos looks at me and goes, why are you asking? Because is it getting to you? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. And he looks around and he's like, we've got it. It's got Eric upset. We're done. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Eric's done. And in my walk over, I just looked at all of her hair and makeup and wardrobe and we had a female electrician and the PAs and they're just like white as ghosts. All the women are just freaked out. And I'm like, yeah, we're not doing this again. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to make the argument. And, you know, when I got there, you know, and, and, you know, said, said that to to Marcus and he was like, why is it getting to you? Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking disturbing, dude. And he was like, we got it moving on. And that was, that was it. Um, my question yeah. is this, though, with the takes and everything, and I know that you get uncomfortable sometimes with certain scenes and stuff. When you shoot, so that's the only time I've ever been uncomfortable in a scene. Okay, that's what I was wondering. Like, if you're uncomfortable, so if you, so that's like a one take thing. If you're uncomfortable, right? Is that like a were, rule? We we did two. We did two. It, it was okay. kind of a difficult move because we're going through a doorway at an angle on a dolly that is almost the the width of the doorway. And it was kind of a thread your needle and it was, it was my dolly and it was done on what's called a dance floor. It wasn't done on, on track. So the dolly has some ability to move side to side. Um, and I, if I remember right, as we entered 
we were straight and we entered and Garrett threw it into roundy round mode. So we would turn the dolly so that we'd reveal. And uh, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a difficult move. And, you know, I'm sitting there and Garrett and I are working it. And, you know, I'm whispering, you know, that, you know, it's great. It's great. Give me a little more to the left, whatever. And, you know, so we're, we're very into what the moment is of, the mechanics and then I've also have to operate the shot in such a way that I'm also portraying an emotion which is that slow reveal of the bathtub until you see her and then you see Trinity with her in the bathtub and you know it's it's the reveal that that gets it you know the one of the things that was pretty cool about Dexter is so much of Dexter and the violence and everything in the show is implied. There was a lot that was implied and not seen. You know, very rarely did you actually see the actual stab. If you did see the stab, it was generally in a wide shot. Um, and you would see some effect of the stab. You would see the, the plastic starting to redden up. But we never went super gory. You know, we would do things like, you know, he would have the bone saw in front of his face and drop it down and the shield would get splattered but you never saw the body being cut, which is kind of why they did that scene in New Blood in which Harrison witnesses the butchering of the body. And a lot of the audience got a little offended because you saw the butchering of the body and it's all there for a reason because they wanted you to realize that even though he was a very neat monster, he was still a monster and he still did bad things under the pretext of I'm doing it for good, I'm Batman, not really. He was doing it for himself. You know, for as much as he as as he would justify that I'm doing a good thing, it wasn't. He was doing it for himself. But we just portrayed it in such a way that the audience accepted it and liked it and felt that he was their hero. I definitely see that, to be honest with you, because I know that when, you know, People say, oh, this is like the most bloodiest show that you can watch. I'm like, no, this is not far. If you want to say bloody, watch The Sopranos. Watch something else rather than that. Watch True Blood when we do a true death and explode 50 gallons of blood. That's a good example. Because I've shot multiple true deaths on True Blood. Because I would shoot Dexter, and then True Blood would start two weeks after Dexter would wrap, and I'd go off and I'd shoot True Blood. And I'd leave True Blood in the middle of episode 10 and I'd go back to Dexter, you know? And so, you know, on, on True Blood, you saw violence. That was the point. You know, Dexter, we never saw violence because we still wanted him to be a hero. Right. And he kind of reserved himself as a, as a hero kind of self because that's yeah. how we wanted to represent him and everything, which makes sense. And by the way, I've been a, I'm a True Blood fan as well. <laughs> like... So I've been following your work without even knowing that I've been following your work. So the one show I think was a little bit more violent than Dexter. I think for me is a show called Strike Back on Cinemax. Uh, mm-hmm. it, was called, it was like that one was more, that was more of a military action one. But there was mm-hmm. that thing was like blood clips like crazy in that but then and then again it's like, had, like that. Is, is much more is much more violent you know there, there's a lot of shows that are truly violent on television 
Dexter was not truly violent. And that was, that was why there's so many fans of it. You know, why there's so many people. I mean, when you see blood, blood is a byproduct, not there as the shock factor. Um, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it was interesting. Um, you know, I was a little upset with, with new blood when they made it where Harrison remembered, because there's no way Harrison remember. And we spent four seasons after that showing that Harrison didn't remember because we were trying to show that light can come from darkness and Harrison was the light. And that's why Dexter had to remove himself at the end of season eight. Otherwise, then he would drag everybody down. And then they decide for some reason that, you know, Harrison has a full memory of it. Which, you know. Remember, Charlie, I actually asked you this too. Uh, Is it possible for Harrison to remember um, anything with the Trinity Killer? Because I know I can remember memories from when I was younger, but that's like way too young to even remember. Harrison was eight months old. Right. Right. Harrison didn't even realize that his diaper was poopy. He's not going to remember Trinity killing his mom and not remembering now, now your father will be home later. You know, he's not yeah, going to I don't know. I, that, 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 going back, like I said, I, I, I will, I, I'll admit, I wasn't like, I didn't like, well, I thought the ending for season eight, I wasn't a fan. But now after watching New Blood and how they ended with that, I'm like, okay. Season eight's ending wasn't as bad as I thought it was been because the way they did it and it just I don't know it just it felt rushed. Season nine. I, I, got, I got to tell you, we're sitting there on the couch. My wife and I were watching this, and it ends. And I I knew it was going to end that way because I knew what Michael's demands were to shoot a new show. Um, I knew that the only way Michael would say yes is that Dexter dies. That's why there hasn't been anything because Showtime and Carlton Company they were not interested in killing off Dexter. And when it came back, I, I knew that Dexter was going to die. And I remember watching the scene and my wife's just sitting there going, what? And I looked at her and went, you know, half the time I hear from a lot of people, oh my God, you guys did a great job on all those seasons of Dexter, but that ending was the worst ever. Not anymore. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I didn't like how they ended season eight. I was like, there's so much left open, but I was like, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I mean, I know he dies, but it's like seeing Dexter die after you've been like accustomed to him for so many years. And this, the performance of Michael C. Hall, seeing him go off that way. And I was like, I mean, I don't really like the grown up Harrison. I liked him when Harrison was the kid where he didn't like that. Yeah. And I was like, there's no way he was going to remember, not from some podcaster, he was going to remember everything about Trinity right off the bat, like it clicked. I was like, coming back, I'm like, yeah, but. Well, don't get me started about the retcon of M99 to ketamine, but, you know, or, or the wheel marks. Because, oh, yeah, that, yeah. Because the whole thing was, is we spent an entire episode in season two destroying the evidence before it could be examined. Yeah. You know, an entire episode of him trying to figure out how to destroy all this evidence and then sabotaging the refrigeration units so that everything dissolves, you know? And it's like, yeah, okay, great. We got that taken care of. And then all of a sudden, here it is 13 years later, and it's like, oh, no, didn't happen that way. I'm like, no, it did happen that way. You know, I was there. (laughs) 
And I just thought it was cool, though, at the end of one of that, uh, like, I think one of the episodes, I hear a, a song, it was a song called Ketamine, it was like, I had no idea Michael C. Hall was part of a band. Oh, yeah. And that was that yeah. was his song that was being played. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. He's a pretty good singer, I have to say that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. What was your favorite season to film? Oh, I mean, probably four. Just I was because, about to four. <laughs> just because it was so bananas, and it, John was such such an amazing dance partner to work with. Um, season four was great. Uh, I got to tell you, I I really loved um, season six. I know a lot of people didn't. Um, but you know, Edward James almost sunset, you know, was a blast. Um, I remember one day he walked in and he said, What do you hear, Eric? And I went, click, and I go, nothing but the rain. And he goes, Well, grab your gun and bring in the cat. And there was this howl across the set because those people who had watched Battlestar Galactica knew that that was the the chant he and Starbuck did. And it was just, he opened it up one day with what do you hear? And I was just like, Oh God, now's my one chance. Um, but Eddie was, Eddie was a ton of fun to play like that. Um, Colin was a blast. Um, looks like what he sounds like Tom, um, you know, but uh, Colin, Colin gets a, a bad rap for that season. It was not an easy character to play. And it's so against what Colin is in real life. Colin's one of the, the nicest guys you ever meet. That was also one of the other benefits of the show was we didn't really have an issue with any of the actors on the show. It was just everybody came in and knew that it was a well-oiled machine and was there to have fun. We had one actor we had problems with, probably the the best fight scene ever shot was with that actor and in that fight scene, Michael and that actor are never together except for the very last shot. And it looks like they're fighting each other. It's the motorhome. It's, uh, it's, you know, um, the, the screwed up guy who thought it was the bull. Um, can't remember his name right now. Uh, Spelter, uh, which had one of the kills that everybody laughs the most about, you know, where, where Michael's like, you know, he's screaming fuck on the table. Fuck! Like, you know, Frankenstein. Um, the, the the guy who played Ray Spelter um, didn't didn't understand what was going on in the show, and didn't understand that he wasn't the star, <laughs> um, and he was a bit of a problem. But other than that, I mean, everybody was fantastic, and and if if actors weren't weren't on point, uh, one of the other actors would go and just have a very quiet little conversation and. And they'd come back with a totally different attitude on set. And it was just, it was so damn much fun. I mean, daily. So probably my favorite season shoot would have been four. Although six is actually pretty close. Um, seven and eight were interesting to shoot because we made a, a personnel change. Um, and you can actually see it on screen. Um, in the fact that uh, uh, we changed DPs. Um, the the DP from season one to season six was Romeo Tyrone, and he started directing and was getting calls to direct. So he made the choice to go to direct full time. 
And um, we brought in uh, a gentleman by the name of Jeffrey Jur, who is a freaking genius with light um, and a super sweet guy and was like, yeah, I, I don't want to change much here. I, I want it to, I want the better cameras and I want it to look nice because, but you know, you guys have done some great work and, and Jeff's first feature film was Dirty Dancing. And, you know, right now he's shooting Bridgerton season two, shot Bridgerton season one and super great guy, really, really talented DP, a lot of fun and uh, gave me one of my best compliments ever, which was at the, at the end of season eight, uh, Jeff is a guy who doesn't even really shake hands. You know, he's not a big handshaker. And he came over and just wrapped me up in a bear hug and said, you should be really proud of what you've created, Eric. This show looks this way because of what you did. Um, and it was, you know, it was a heck of a thing to say. And, you know, we, we did it. We, we had a blast. I mean, and the thing was, I, I remember when I was hired, Romeo, we, we went and we met at a, uh, coffee bean and tea leaf basically right across the street from the studio <clears throat> and i was i think the third operator he was interviewing that day and he had three more behind me and uh i came in and sat down there are pleasantries he started explaining the show to me and says okay so the way we work on this show is if it's something you shot on another show it's wrong we don't want to do any of that we want it to look unique and different and you know just we want you to contribute. And I looked at him and said, sounds like fun. When do we start? And that's what hired me was that comment. Um, Cause it was like, it's a fuck. This is awesome. And, you know, so we, you know, Dexter doesn't look like anything on TV. Um, they do the first eight seasons. Doesn't look like anything that you ever saw on TV. You know, we, we did stuff totally different and it was just so much fun because we got to play every, every day. And we also did it with, with not a lot of, we didn't use a lot of non-standard expensive gear and didn't do things gimmicky. We just, we just shot it from different, different angles and different, different points of view and, and did things differently. Um, there's, there's a little, there's a little trick that I do that no, that not a lot of people ever caught on to was that if we were panning Dexter through the bullpen, he never changed size in the frame, even though he got closer to me and then farther away from me. He never changed size in the frame because as he was walking, I was hand zooming to keep him the same size. So I'd be zooming out as he's getting closer to me and then I'd be zooming in as he's leaving just to make it different, just so that there was a different feeling of Dexter walking through the bullpen versus anybody else. And it was just those little things. And I mean, no director ever talked to me about it. Directors didn't even realize it was being done half the time. I remember one day John Dahl walks over to me and goes, why does this shot look different? I looked at him and went, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, and, and, and uh, you know, he, he just went on and did something. I, I remember in season seven, there's the the shot where Deb is in the um, in Dexter's inner office. And it's right after she's seen him kill Travis. And she's starting to have the breakdown and, and she's starting to cry. And she's like, you know, I am the fucking lieutenant of homicide i should be arresting you but i i can't you're my brother we have to work this out and she's starting to cry and we've seen jennifer cry a lot and she starts wringing she's wringing her hands down by her waist and they're out of frame 
and I'm on her close up, and in the middle of the close up, I just drop to the hands, like on her third word, and I sit there the entire take, and I never, I never went back to her close up, and you know, and it's a fantastic advantage of having your focus puller next to you when you're doing that because you know, had Joel not been there and, and been the amazing focus puller he was, I couldn't have done that, and. You know, the moment Joel felt the camera moving, he knew where I was going because that was the other thing. My my assistants were also in my head, and we all we all got it. And I do that, and I hear John yell "cut," and I can hear him running into the into the uh, inner office because the video village for them was always put where the refrigerator was, where the break room was in the in the uh, bullpen. And so you come around that corner, and there's the outer office in which this was hanging on the wall. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the actual blood spatter angle oh, wow. thing from the set. Wow. Um, that's you know, awesome. Here in my office. Um, and I hear John come running in and he goes, Holy crap, that was amazing. We're moving on. And Jennifer's like, what? What was amazing? What, what happened? And Michael saw a shot. Michael's like, oh, my God, it was amazing. Holy crap, Eric, that was amazing. None of us would tell Jennifer what I did. <laughs> she found out when she watched the episode. And she came down. The, the It was the Monday after the episode. And she walks up to me and just, boom. She goes, Okay, now I understand what you did. That was amazing. It's like, okay, cool. That was the type of stuff that that we just did because it was it was good storytelling. You know, what that her wringing of her hands showed the emotion just as much or more than her crying. You know, because you heard her crying, you heard her talking to Dexter, but you saw the ang- the anguish. And her trying to make it okay in what she was doing there. And that was the beauty of the actors we had. They, they just, they gave stuff like that all the time. And, we, you know, I was just fortunate enough to, to have both eyes open and, and watch it and catch it and put it out on the air. Yeah. To be honest with you, capturing that moment with Jennifer was mm-hmm. really captivating for me because I always say this, you don't need to have, you know, you don't need to have a lot of things with a lot of dialogue with your actors or anything like that. You can just pan angle the camera to a certain spot mm-hmm. and you can let the character just on her hand motions alone tells you everything that you need to know. Same thing if they, the way they look at a camera, or the camera too, and the way yeah. that it's shot. Well, and that's, you have that, so much that scene's what sets up the bodega encounter three episodes down the road in which Jennifer is a mess, you know, drinking and she's opening up a beer in the store and telling Dexter to get the fuck away from her, <laughs> you know, and it, 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 it's, it opened that up and it, it, that was the precursor to that. And, you know, Dexter was very unique in, in the fact that I've never been on a television series. Um, when the episodes come out, um, the scripts go through what's called distribution. Um, and generally the shooting crew all gets the script, at least the department heads, the camera operator, script supervisor. Um, but 
oftentimes everybody grips electrics pas are also given the scripts um just so that we can all we all know what's going on and so that when we get to a location or a set everybody already kind of has an idea what's going on on the scene and you know we know what direction we're going to be in by what the the direction was in the script um yeah okay yes vicky we will in a minute um and uh um so we we all kind of knew the direction i've never been on a tv series where the entire company read not only the first draft of the script that came to us scripts came out on tuesdays um and not and and this is you know back in 2007, 2008, 2009, this is before everybody had, you know, the iPhone didn't show up on set until midway through two, season two. And I had a friend actually standing in line and bought, I had the first iPhone on our crew. It was hand delivered to me on set one night in the middle of the night. Um, but we didn't have ways to read a script electronically. So it was a paper script. Um, you know, and the paper script, it, you know, it had our, had the, the title and everything, and then it has our watermark on it, our name. So if the script gets out in the public, <laughs> the watermark's there. Everybody can see it. Nowadays, uh, Marvel scripts are printed on red paper because red won't photocopy. So even if somebody stole the script, they couldn't photocopy it um, because it's red. But um, so on Tuesdays, we get the we get usually the writer's draft. And then uh, we would get the network draft on Thursday. This is always uh, an episode ahead. So if we're shooting, if we're shooting 403, we're getting this on while we're shooting 402, maybe 401. Um, at the beginning of the season, we're getting two scripts ahead. Towards the end of the season, we're barely getting the script that we're about to shoot. Um, and you would look around the set. Uh, scripts usually came downstairs around 11 in the morning. You'd look around the set at 11.05, and if people weren't working, they were sitting and reading the script. And you'd look around during a take, and all the grips, all the electrics are in their little spots, and they're all reading the script. And then you get the next revision, and everybody would read the entire revision. And you get the next revision, and everybody would read the collated entire revision of the script. And everybody would read every version of the script that was out and we all had the ability to call bullshit we all had the ability to go that's not right that's not what dexter would do and the writers would listen and it was it's, i've never ever i've been doing this for 30 plus years never had a show where that was done where the entire crew were fans on true blood i signed three ndas i signed an nda with showtime i signed an NDA with Fang Banger, and I signed an NDA with one of the other production entities. Okay. Signed three NDAs. On Dexter, I signed zero NDAs. True Blood, there was always leaks. Dexter, there was never leaks. It tells you how much the crew was a fan of the show. We loved what we were doing. We all took ownership in what we were doing. Never been on any other show like that in my entire career. So it's just that will tell you why there was that lightning in a bottle for those eight seasons and why that show worked that way. Because there were open discussions. I remember during rehearsals, 
there would be, you know, uh, Michelle, one of our electives, to go, why is Dexter doing that? Rehearsal and stuff. And then they'd be like, yeah, why is Dexter doing that? And everybody would sit there and talk it out. Or there would be times that Michael would go, Eric, didn't we do something like this in, you know, six episodes ago? Yeah. And that was caused by this on this many episodes before that. And, you know, yes, it works or maybe it doesn't work, you know, and it was like, you know, you know, the, the gaffer would be like, no, th this isn't the right time of day. You know, it, it doesn't, the, the timeline's not working or whatever. And everybody was doing that. And so it was, there didn't need to be a bunch of producers down there making sure the show was on the straight and narrow because the show was on the straight and narrow because the entire crew made sure the show was on the straight and narrow and all the actors made sure the show was on the straight and narrow. All the actors always talked about authentic. Everything had to be authentic. There had to be an authentic reason for the emotion. And if there wasn't an authentic reason for the emotion, we needed an explainer or we needed to do it a different way because it had to be authentic. And you can see that all on screen. That's why Dexter is what Dexter is. And that's why there's a rabid fan base that called bullshit on ketamine, you know, and went, this isn't the way it's done because everybody understood it. We put it out there and made sure that it was that way. So Vicky mom, a uh, person actually who I've been talking to for, I guess now two years, um, Asked about the, uh, the La Guerta death scene. So the La Guerta death scene, oh, that was on our third to last night of season seven. And that was another one of those rough, rough, rough days. Um, and it was one of the few times that it got shut down for a story. Um, and I mean, when I say shut down, we stopped for an hour. And it started as a discussion. It got rather heated. It settled down. It got heated again. It settled down. And we kept trying to find a way that was authentic, a way that was going to be believable for why Deb would do what she did. Um, if you notice in the, the sh in the scene, when she finally does pull the trigger and kills LaGuerta, she's not looking at LaGuerta. She's looking at Dexter. She's staring at Dexter. And I actually made the suggestion of do it as a no-look shot. Be pointed at LaGuerta. And as part of the solving of the problem, I said, you know, the, the problem that nobody's listening to is, is that Deb is not angry with LaGuerta. Deb is angry with Dexter, and she's about to go down a really bad road. And this is the road that sets in motion everything we're going to do in the next season. Um, we really didn't know what the scripts were for the next season. Um, Showtime had decided that they weren't going to wait the full year and start season eight in September. We were going to start season eight in May, uh, airing it, and it would be done by the normal first episode time slot of, of Dexter. Um and again, this is this is one of the things that was so great about the family. I remember there was an all hands on deck meeting. We were shooting interrogation room, I think. 
whatever it was, it was on the, the southwest corner of stage 16. I know exactly where it was in space. Um, we had the walls pulled out. It took us a while to pull the walls out because that set was horrible to pull the walls out on. Um, and Scott Buck came down. Everybody from the office came down. Everybody from base camp came in. The entire company was standing there. Editors were there. Everybody was standing there. And Scott was like, okay, Showtime wants to pull us up to a May start. That means we're going to start shooting season um, eight in January. We're only going to have uh, eight weeks off, guys. So is everybody okay with that? And everybody was like, yep, we're fine with that. And But it was you know one of these things that we got a nice warning and a discussion that you know this is what we want to do and and it kind of made it nice because it 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 brought these season seven and eight together which were difficult for a variety of reasons mainly because we knew that the story was was we were coming to the conclusion and none of us really wanted to come to the conclusion but we were coming to the conclusion and um so you know we kind of we kind of had an outline of what was going to happen in eight we kind of knew where things were going, we didn't have the details. And so in shooting the LaGuardia's death scene, we kind of knew that this was the beginning of the end, that that scene in itself is the absolute beginning of the end because it's, the, it's Deb embracing the dark side because she cares too much about her brother and she's willing to sacrifice herself. And that's the moment she makes the sacrifice. That moment when she kills LaGuardia is the moment she dies in the series. Everything else was just an afterlife for her because at that point she had made this decision that there was no turning back from. And so that, that's why there was this one hour of just, it was rough. I think that was one of our longer days. We, we generally didn't go over 12 hours on the show. Um, end of seasons always were horrifically long days um you know season two was a 27 hour day um just because lila wouldn't die (laughs) (laughs) but no epidurals don't work that fast it's a horse tranquilizer okay it works that fast Um, um, i was so happy when they when dexter finally got her because i i I didn't i'm not i wasn't a huge lila fan in season two then again i was like the whole cause of that was Dexter felt like he was trying to do the right thing yeah. and Rita told him to go AA. So it's kind of Rita's fault for him, for him meeting Lila. That's like, that's what I said in our, uh, our after show. It was because of Rita, Dexter met Lila and we had to do with Lila. Yeah. Well, it, it, it was interesting because I remember um, one of our second ACs did this fantastic photo series uh, in season eight, where we invited back every actor that we had. And he just did a, a portrait of them in red lit by one light. We had this little place set up on the corner and it was the last four weeks of the show. And it was all these actors would come walking in who you haven't seen for years. And I remember Jamie walking up to me and during season two, our relationship was a little contentious. I, I, she was a bit annoying and uh, she came up and she was just like, so apologetic. She was like, look, it was one of my first big roles. I didn't know how to behave and I apologize. And, you know, I hope that, we can be good going, going forward. I'm like, yeah, we're absolutely, you know, and she and she and uh, uh, Julie are actually best friends. 
Um, oh, nice. But so, so it was, it was, it was nice, you know, doing that, but, you know, so we're, it's, I think it was a 17 or an 18 hour day. Everybody's getting punchy and tired. We're doing some crazy things. We're, we're shooting actually on some film using a, a hand crank camera. So we get some speed changes and weirdness going on. And, you know, I'm cranking forward and cranking backwards and double exposing and all this stuff. And, um, I just remember we had the, the there was the, the discussion that turned into an argument that turned into discussion, turned into an argument. And, and finally, I was just like out of exhaustion. I'm like, it's a no look shot. You're, you're, you're just staring at Dexter and you just pull the trigger and dispatch Lagreta. And Jennifer was like, that's exactly what I'm missing. And, you know, and that that's 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 what we ended up doing. And sometimes it just it took the group being having some clarity uh, stepping away and understanding what we're doing. And then, so we shot that. And I think then three days later, we were down in, down in um, well, Long Beach. Well, it kind of was, it was, it was Paradise Cove um, down in Long Beach. And, you know, it's a scene where they're, they walk out of, of the area and, you know, there's the fireworks going off and everything. And, and you know, Deborah looks shell-shocked and Dexter looks fine. And, you know, it's the start of the end. Uh, and then that goes into the next season. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of apple pie moonshine that night. There's a lot of apple pie moonshine that night to to, to try to settle everybody down. That was that was kind of our go to. Uh, Michael and I would always do a shot of apple pie moonshine before a kill room. Oh, nice! And, and you smell it. And, ah, it smells like the holidays, and boom, do it. And that's that's what we did. What was your favorite kill room? To shoot oh by far freebo because it's the one freebo. that changed oh, yeah, freebo. Okay. it's the one that changed everything um it's, I, I it's the one up. that oh, sorry. I, I, I remember at the end of the, at the end of, of, of the scene romeo walks up to me and goes way to put your foot through it you just you just put your stamp on the show this is this is you you know i was like thank you you know and because again like i said it was just it was just michael and i riffing Mm-hmm. Uh, which is what what kill rooms became was just Michael and I having fun. Um, you know, I love it, the setup of it when like when he's like trying to meet Freebo with the with the Oreo and he's licking it like the cocaine. He's like, "Where's Freebo, man?" Like, I mean, I just <laughs> like I love that part. But then again, I just Michael C. Hall. It was perfect for this. No. It's like, and then yes. I I mean I loved season four when he I, I believe he won the Golden Globe for I think it was either season three or season season four, four. season and, four. John Lithgow had the had the idea for the greatest acceptance speech ever. Because Michael was like, if I if I win, what do I what do I do for an acceptance speech? And Lithgow goes, it's very simple. This is all you say. Walk up, accept the award, and just go, very wise choice, and walk away. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean it wasn't, and it wasn't, and it was that was actually the speech in which in which he said, It's a hell of a thing to go to a place where everybody gives a damn. And that was mm-hmm. him thanking the crew. And it's true. Everybody gave a damn on that show. I mean, I just cared for him so much because I know exactly what he was going through at that time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a cancer survivor, so I I just congratulations. Like, I'm glad oh, thank you. Um, it's been it was years. I was a couple months old, but I I drew, was drawn to Michael C. Hall, and I was like, he won the Oscar. He won the not the Oscar Golden Globe for Dexter for that season with everything he went through, and then like and. 
And again, him and Deb had a fantastic chemistry in the show, and that so that was so they, good. They they were married at the, at that time. Yeah, um, I, I I knew that, and then I yeah, think they, they broke up in a sense, but they were so great about, together. About six weeks before the show ended, there was a bump on Michael's neck, and since I'm always in here, mm-hmm. like, dude, that bump's not going down. He goes, I know, I think it's baby aliens. Um, <laughs> you know, they're just gonna shoot out of me, and we were laughing about it, and. Um, I remember the day he went to the I went to the uh, the doctor and got the results because um, we were shooting at a house that we shot a lot, which was literally across the street from the stage, and um, it's like the house that we used this house probably forty or fifty times, always redressed as a different different house. Um, but it was it was literally it was a quick cart push out of the out of the parking garage. To get to get our equipment there, and um, I remember we were we were uh, lighting the scene in which Dexter goes into the house where there's the mother and the two children squatting, um, and he goes down the basement and she said, "You know, please don't, you know, because it was one of the fake addresses that Trinity gave," and she's like, "Please, you know, we don't have any place else to go. Just you know, let us be." And we were all shocked because the little baby just was like. You know, just this pitiful look, this, you know, six month old baby on her shoulder just gives this fantastic pitiful look. And we're like, oh, my God, you see that? And so the shot had him coming in, walking through the kitchen, turning a corner, opening the basement door, going down the stairs. So my shot's pulling him back in the kitchen. I've got a very tiny corner that I have to turn the corner see him opening the door so I still have to be on the right side of him so I can see his hand go to the door and then Michael crosses the frame goes down the steps and then we recross the frame because it's just the physicality of me getting into into the stairs and I think I went down like five steps with him to see the mother and so I'm sitting in the kitchen doing doing what I do always as an operator which is you know making sure the lights don't get in my frame or, or other equipment, you know? So I'm just, I'm sitting there and policing my frame and Michael walks in, do a quick walkthrough and sits up on the counter next to me. And for about 20 minutes, we had a discussion about what's going to go on with the cancer diagnosis. He was like, I have been diagnosed. It is Hodgkin's lymphoma, you know, goes on and on and goes, you know, I'm going to beat this. I know that it's about managing the people around me. I remember that because I was like, oh, my God, the clarity of it's not that I have to beat cancer. It's that everybody around me, I have to manage their expectations and all this. And and then he finishes off with, don't tell anybody. <laughs> okay. And uh, he didn't tell the producers until we wrapped the show six weeks later that, you know, pretty much the week afterwards, he was going to go into chemo. And came back season five and, you know, he was, he was fine. Um, you know, had to wait for the hair to grow in a bit, but other than that, he, he did great and beat it. And, you know, total inspiration, you know, at that point coming back in, everybody knew that he had cancer. It was, it was funny. I, I remember one of our electrics, Shelly looking at me going, you knew, didn't you? <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and, you know, and, and that also gets back to the, the, the whole family aspect of, you know, 
because his whole concern was, is for the next six weeks, you have to make sure I'm still Dexter. That I don't look different and I don't act different. And I was like, yeah, not a problem. Oh, man. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was about to say, I, was, I liked Miami Dexter compared to that because I missed him with the Hawaiian shirts. That's well, <laughs> you know, and the, the whole thing is that was done for a reason also. It's, it's done to differentiate. and It's done to let you know there's a passage of time and that he's out of his element and he's not he's not doing things the way he normally does them, you know, and, and that's, that was the whole thing of why new blood was able to do what it did. Not that I totally agree with it, but. <laughs> right. Because I felt lukewarm with the season finale of Dexter, uh, new blood and everything too. I appreciate what they were going for with the Argo kind of feel to it, with the slow pacing. I appreciated the start from it, but it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. And I, if you feel lukewarm about it, that's not a really good feeling that settles in with me. Because at first I'm like, yeah, I liked it. Then I'm like, yeah, am I psyching myself up too much for it? Or am I, I was like, I'm still playing around with it on if I liked it or not. I'm really feeling like lukewarm, like I'm right in the middle. I mean, here's the thing. Everybody's got got to remember. I mean, everything is a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, it's the circle of life. Um, but <laughs> um, everything is a beginning, a middle, and an end. At that point, Michael had Michael had inherited had inhabited that character for eight seasons of television and eight years off television. There was sixteen years that Michael was Dexter. That's a long time. Eight seasons of television is a long time to come back after eight years into a ninth season is there's a massive effort to do that in order to find the character and find the show and, and do things like that. One thing that a lot of people don't, don't realize is that Michael did six feet under, he did six seasons of that. Okay. Very highly acclaimed, you know, put him on the map. It was shot at sunset Gower studios. We shot Dexter at sunset Gower studios. He had the same office for 15 years. He went to the same stage for 15 years straight, playing, in essence, the same character because David was very similar in some ways to Dexter. And <clears throat> I think, you know, as an actor who wants to do other things and grow and has other interests, you get to a point that you're like, I've done all I can do in these two roles and I played them for 16 years and now there's a gap of eight and I'm going to play it another year. I mean, that's what, that's 25 years of his life has been devoted to these two characters. And, you know, he has other interests. He wants to, wants to do Broadway and was very good at it. You know, he wants to sing and tour this band and, everything was going swimmingly. And then there was this thing called COVID, which shut the world down. And, you know, coming out of COVID, everybody in the world had burned up everything. They had found the end of Netflix. They found the end of Amazon Prime. We were out of content. And Showtime came back and did their yearly ask and said, can we do it? And Michael gave the same answer he always gives. Can we kill him? And Showtime said yes, and Michael said yes, and you get new blood. 
And it worked because it was in a time frame in which he couldn't tour. And now he's off the touring. And, you know, I, I think what he's done is fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I used to do a show. Um, you know, I, I stepped out after the 17th season of it. Um, I had played there for seven years and felt that I had gotten everything out of it that I wanted to get out of, you know, which was how many times can I shoot the surgery suite? How many times can I shoot doctors standing around a bed? You know, and I sit there and I look at my friends that are still acting on Grey's Anatomy going, this is 18 fucking seasons. Jesus Christ, just put a bullet in your head. I mean, really, you've got to be done with it. Um, you know, and, and they keep, they keep going because they're like, uh, well, there's a paycheck and a fan base. And Michael was brave enough to go, there's a fan base, but also I have other things I want to pursue in life and I'm going to put an end to this. And the network has said, yes, you know, there was always the joke of, you know, we're not killing Dexter in uh, the end of season eight because they want to do a movie. They want to do Dexter, the movie. And, you know, Michael was always like, that's their dream, not mine. Um, you know, because after the movie won't work. There's no way to do it. Well, we already saw uh, the, saw what it looked like with The Sopranos, for example, because of the fact it's been X amount of years. Also, to like you said, Michael C. Hall wants to do other things. He wants yeah. to experiment. He doesn't want to be where he has to play this character again and everything because he's, he feels like he's already developed the character into what he feels like that he can. Well, and that, that, was, that was the thing, you know, everybody, you know, we, we got to season eight, you know, and, and, and Michael had to sit down with all the actors and said, okay, Showtime's offered us nine. We can do nine. Or do we end here? Are we in a good spot here? And pretty much everybody said, yeah, I've gotten out of the character what I want to get out of it. You know, the whole reason that Jennifer wanted Deb to die was she didn't want to have to revisit Deb. And then she's in New Blood. But she wanted closure for that character. She wanted to be able to say, that's a chapter of my life that's over. And she's done very well in her next chapter. Oh my God, she's she's, you know, had her kids, you know, and and you know, very happily married. And, you know, still runs marathons. Oh my God, that girl's fast. At the end of season five, uh, Johnny Lee Miller loves to run ultras. He doesn't run just marathons, he runs ultras. And he got Jennifer hooked and Desmond Harrington, actually, which is one of the reasons why Desmond lost so much weight, because he realized that running was his jam, um, got them hooked on marathoning. So at the end of five, Jennifer goes, hmm, I've only been training for four weeks, but I'm going to do the New York Marathon. Finishes in like 10 minutes off the fastest time never having run a marathon before, past Johnny Miller in the marathon. Crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'll be out of breath. <laughs> that, be, that, that, I can't yeah. run to the refrigerator. Oh. <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, it's like, it's like all these people have other, you know, fans see them as their character, not understanding that they have other things that they want to do in their life. And that that character is a means to an end. It's not their end. You know, it's not their entire existence. And it's, uh, you know, 
I'm just happy that I got to be a part of it. And I got to be able to add my verse to the poem um, in, in what we did. And, you know, I got to put my little, my little stamp of what I thought the show should look like on the show. You know, I was very and fortunate. I just want to say this, man. I mean, this has been a blast having you on here, awesome. talking about these stories and everything, too. It, To be honest with you, this has actually been a dream come true for Charlie and I both. <laughs> and just to be able to geek out with you over the stories and stuff like that is just touching to us and the love and the commitments that the actors and actresses behind the scenes crew had fighting on Dexter. Yeah, It warms my heart and soul to know, and also Charlie's as well, know that you guys have been well respected and everything too and everybody has so much love for each other and that's i mean it's been we started this like how i decided to start doing podcasting was last year is like the new season dexter is out let's do rewatches for it and like and we started with season one we'll be continuing on we had to take a break because the the the, how the last one ended i was like i was like i'm done i'm done no no don't come back don't come back (laughs) What? It was, it was, there was sadness in season eight as we were starting to dismiss actors. Uh, instead of, you know, hearing, hey, that's a wrap today, uh, or, or the customary, that's a season wrap on whatever actor. Uh, when you would hear, um, you know, the, the ADs call out, that's a series wrap on, um, it was, it was a, a bittersweet experience every time it was, it was kind of odd because, you know, everybody just gets ready to move on to the next scene and you'd hear there's a series rap and there'd be the little speech and there'd be the hugs. And then the stage would get empty because everybody would go find a little corner and have a little weep, uh, you know, and, and have a little cry that they're not going to see that person again. And it's, it's just like, uh, you know, it was it was so so touching. You know, I remember Jennifer's final goodbye speech because we had to do a bit of a reshoot of the unplugging. And I remember Jennifer standing on the hospital gurney, bawling, telling the crew how much she loved everyone and how much that we're all appreciated. And I remember she got off and there was a couple hugs and she came over to me and she's, you know, hugging me and crying. And I love you. I love you. I love you. And I'm saying it back to her. And then all of a sudden there's another person in the hug and it's Desmond and he's crying. And then there's another person in the hug and it's Michael and he's crying. And it's just, you know, the, the, the five of us are just bear hugging on each other because we're never going to get to, to, to play this way again, you know? And, you know, and I remember, Michael climbing the ladder for the climbing the ladder to, to say goodbye to the crew. So it was an interesting rap because we wrapped on stage on a Wednesday night. And on Friday, we flew to, to uh, Portland, Oregon on, uh, we wrapped on stage on Wednesday. We flew to Portland on Thursday and we shot Friday. Friday was the actual real rap of Michael. The series rap ever of Michael was the stuff in Astoria. And so, you know, he's saying goodbye and there's a bunch of us going, I've got to be at the airport in four hours. This is, holy crap, it's a forced call. This is going to be expensive. Um, you know, and we're just like, I get that you want to say goodbye, but hey, we've got to be on an airplane. And we're tired. Um, 
And Michael's one comment was very interesting because we knew the ending was going to be polarizing. We knew that the ending, people were going to be very upset with the ending. Some, and some people were going to be very happy with the ending. And um, we, he stood on the ladder and said, no matter what, we will always be proud of the fact that we, this entire group, created something. We did something, and we did something that will live forever. And we created that. Not me, not Jennifer. We created that. And he kept pushing it back onto the crew. And it was, it was a great moment. I was shooting a video of it, and Sarah Colleton snapped the, snapped the phone out of my hand because Michael had the beard on, and she was afraid that it was going to get out in social media. And I looked at her and went, seven years, Sarah, and I've never posted anything. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh yeah, and then, then we went up to uh to Astoria and we, we had a great time. And I just remember after the 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 crane shot at him walking up to the step, I just remember um uh, our first AD very quietly saying, ladies and gentlemen, that is a series rap on Michael C. Hall. And then the the knob hill came out and the vodka came out, and the wine came out, and then all of a sudden our script supervisor goes, we forgot a shot. And we're like, we're like two bottles in. <laughs> like, we forgot a shot. Okay. We dragged everything over to the other I side of the house and shot one shot of him just looking, just right. walking past the corner of the house. But it was just like, oh, God, what a letdown. Uh, and then, you know, and, but I will say the other crazy thing was, is, is um, the people of Astoria, Oregon that we ran into that actually recognized Michael, we asked them very politely, hey, you can tell everybody that we were here after this episode airs in two months. Just please keep our secret. And the people of Astoria, Oregon kept our secret and they didn't say anything. And it was fantastic that nobody knew that there was this whole secret unit that went up there and, and did it. And it was, it was a ton of fun, but it was a, it was a, it was a great ending. And then I think a week later I went in and I shot the actual very last footage, which, we shot some inserts. We shot the uh, the pen being laid on the table that he ends up stabbing. Um, uh, what's his face, uh, Darian Nelson? With uh, we we had to shoot that. We had to shoot the jail cell closing. You know, a bunch of those. That was the very final Bowfinger that we ever shot because the the second unit was nicknamed Bowfinger after the movie where everything was stolen because our second unit. Stole everything. There's hilarious stories in that, but yeah, but it's been a lot of fun, guys. I, I really appreciate it's, it. If you want to do it again, 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 and you know whatever. It's, it's absolutely. I, I, I will never, great. I will never tire of talking about the best show I've ever worked on and the best work experience I've ever had. When you do For sure, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> and Eric, like I said, it's a pleasure to have you on here. I appreciate everything that you've done in the team behind Dexter. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, just uh, for quick thinking and everything, where can everybody follow you at if they want to follow you and all that stuff on social media? I'm, you know, I'm an old dude. I don't, I don't do that stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay. There is an Instagram. Um, I think it's got like five pictures on the Instagram. It's got you know, a couple pictures of our cats, which is kind of odd, but uh, it's got a video of me being total rubbish with a with a, a telescopic crane. Um, I'm there. Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, you can follow me. I generally, if I, I kind of have a rule about friends and it's, 
it's been very interesting over the years because fans of Dexter have tried to friend me and they get a little upset when I don't accept their friendship. And it's like, look, if I, if I can't recognize you when I'm drunk in a bar, you don't get to be a friend uh, <laughs> because it's just, right. it's just the way it is. But uh, you know, I, I post infrequently on, on Facebook. I'm in the Dexter groups, uh, generally correcting bad information. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, um, but uh, you know, uh, I've got an IMDB, which you know says what I've done over my years. Um, but that's that's pretty much about it. I I am on Twitter. The the show actually the network actually came to Romeo and I during season four and asked us to to post on Twitter, not post stuff from that would identify what we're doing, but post that we're shooting. So Romeo and I adopted the term the Dexter Army, uh, and we would you know post stuff of of setups at locations and things like that. Uh, never giving away the show, but you know it's. I really don't do social media. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, anyways, if you guys also want to, you guys can go on and follow us underneath Movie Lovers TV Lovers Night on Facebook, underneath Instagram and Pinterest as well. If you want to get an audio-only podcast of our episode in this episode of many episodes that we do here at Movie Lovers Night, you guys can go on ahead and get that where you guys get your major podcast from. Also, too, go over to Good Pods. Good Pods is basically social media for podcasters, or if you're someone that listens to podcasts, go on ahead, look under Movie Lovers Night. Rate us. You can, as a matter of fact, you can actually rate individual episodes, which is something that I like. And you can also go on ahead and comment on each individual episode, and we'll respond back to you. So if you don't like a certain episode, we'll respond and say, "Hey, look, what can we do to make ourselves better for you as a listener?" So that's something that I appreciate from Good Pods. Another thing is, if you guys want to go ahead, if you I understand the pandemic has actually put holes in people's pockets and everything, all you have to do is go ahead. Donate to our channel at GoFundMe.com forward slash Movie Lovers Unite podcast and forward slash donate. And that's how you can donate to our channel. It just keeps the lights on here at Movie Lovers Unite. But like I said, if you don't want to, you don't have to. But if you, another way that you can actually show us some love is click that like button. Also, too, give us a, that, that thumbs up. Smash that uh, bell in the bottom right-hand corner to allow you guys to know when we have something new coming out. Matter of fact, we have a lot of stuff coming out. Tomorrow night, I'm actually going to be with another podcaster on a Getting to Know series because I like to get to know other podcasters. So I'm actually doing a segment on Getting to Know Vernon Kelly. Vernon has actually been on my channel a little bit. And then also, too, we're going to be starting our Batman rewatches going from the 1989 Batman all the way to the Batman and Robin one. And then hopefully in March, I'll be going to see the new Batman movie. So that's going to be another thing I'm going to be doing. Don't forget the Nolan ones, too. Yep. We're, we're also going to be covering Nolan. Nolan. Anything Batman-related, we're going to be doing that all the way up until probably March. But like I mentioned, if you guys want to, go ahead and follow me under on the Twitter at Movie Lovers Unit, and then on TikTok as well at Movie Lovers Unit Zero. And if you want to reach out to me, if you're a sponsor or like to be on the show, just reach out to me at MovieLoversUnite at gmail.com. And I've also teamed up with Two Blur Girls Podcast. We're actually donating money to Children's of St. Jude's Hospital if you guys want to go and hand get yourself a Sensi or anything like that, all proceeds go over to the Children's of St. Jude's Hospital. So that's everything that you need to know about Movie Lovers Tonight. Thank you again, Eric, so much. You're very welcome. Well, for taking the time out of your night. This has been great. Awesome. You're welcome. Great. Anytime. No, it's been, it's been fun. Thanks, guys. Thank you. It's been great. <laughs> Always until next time, guys. Stay safe. Have a good night. And bye-bye. See y'all.